0: City Church. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. That means you survived July 4th. Congratulations. Everyone have all their digits still. This is good. This is the only holiday that really I can think of. that It's like, have a happy 4th and be safe. It's basically code word, don't be dumb. like <laughs> Americans, we love celebrating freedom in our, our dumb ways of blowing off fingers and arms. We're, we're not very safe with it. Last night, we actually were doing some of that activity in our friend's backyard we were lighting off fireworks, and we did the very thing that you aren't supposed to do, that whole be safe, uh, because we were launching it off of the the back of their fence, or their their, uh, wall in the back, and we forgot that they had an alley behind that wall, and that's not well-maintained grass or anything. In fact, there's overgrown weeds that are dead and dry that when any spark of any kind touch it, it becomes an inferno instantly. And so... Talking about suffering this morning and going through trials and tribulations, we were grabbing buckets and running into the, the pool and grabbing buckets and going out into the alley. And the girls were saying, "Should we call 911?" And the guys are like, "No, I can do this," <laughs> which we did. It just wasn't very pretty, and so their neighbors probably aren't very happy with them. But I'm glad that we are here. All, all are here on July 5th. I'm glad that we all made it through and survived and weren't too dumb. We've been going through this book of Romans uh, written by uh, one of the, our, our church leaders who, who speaks words into the ages that, that not only did it speak to the audience where he was at that time, but also to us even now. They surpass any cultural context, any definition uh, of just our humanity being spoken into our souls. So for us, whether we live here now or we lived in Rome in the first century, these words are just as relevant. And part of that is because God is just as real as he was then in the same being he was then he is today. And how we interact, how that tells our story is just as relevant to these words that we find. So in Romans, we've been going through the first five chapters. Last week, um, Jared spoke on the first couple verses of chapter five, and and today we're going to delve into three through five of chapter five. Now to preface this, Paul is at this point in his life where he's about to enter this new chapter of his ministry. He's already well-experienced in spreading the church, basically church planting like this, not quite like this, because there weren't probably elementary schools like this back then, but they were still creating this new church in this place where it didn't exist before. And so Paul has all this experience of, of planting churches and starting the church in different areas, and now he finds himself in this new season where he's about to take off and go into Spain, what was uh, then at that time uh, a different place, but, but essentially geographically was Spain. So he's going to go into this new territory, and before he does... He writes to his church in Rome. Now, he had not been there yet. He had not yet visited. So he wanted to speak to them before he arrived. Because it was on the way to this new adventure, to this new journey. So here's Paul writing to the church in Rome. And he's thinking upon this new chapter, this new uh, adventure that he's going to go on. And I have to think that Paul not only thought of the excitement that comes with starting something new, but he also had to think about the challenges that came before him in other seasons. Paul never took the easy way. Paul always believed in spreading the gospel and spreading the church, and he would do it at any cost in fact, in uh, Corinthians, he actually shares this list where he talks about being shipwrecked and flogged and beaten and imprisoned. This man had been through so much in order to spread this church, and yet he wanted to do it again. I think that as church planners, you have to be somewhat in love with pain to actually go through it again and again, or even twice, right, Jared? To actually continually to go through that pain, but you have to count it as worth it. And Paul did, and then he writes these words to those who are in Rome to explain why he can do it. In uh, Romans chapter 5, starting with um, verse 1, where first Jared uh, took us last week. Um, It should say one there, but anyways, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now I read that because Paul has this habit of not like closing out thoughts very well. Every sentence seems to begin with but, however, therefore, uh, not only so. So I just wanted to first preface this, so it didn't sound awkward. Why starting this morning with not only so? There was something that came before. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We make much of. We glorify. We we spread. We amplify this hope that we have in the glory of God. This peace that goes beyond understanding that we have gained a safe harbor in the midst of trial and hardship. We now give glory to God. He says this, not only so, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If we can go back to that first slide there of Romans chapter 5. Not only so but we also glory in our sufferings. First of all, glory seems like an odd verb. Essentially here, he's saying to boast, similar to the previous verse, that we make much of God even in our sufferings, which is counterintuitive for us, is it not? Is your first reaction when you're going through a hardship or suffering to be like, yay! No, we are Debbie Downers at our very core, right? Like our response in the midst of, pain is usually why me? Why this? It's never naturally a celebration. We find ourselves in the midst of pain and we have to ask the question, why? But yet Paul says, even in our sufferings, we boast, we glory, we bring about praise for God because of what he's done. And there's a connection here. Because without this, this end point, without this word that we're going to be coming to, suffering is just suffering. It's just another term within philosophy, within our, our idea of what society is and what humanity is. We just have this belief or this understanding the world is just, it's just filled with suffering. That's it. Paul says, no, no, there's something that leads us to somewhere else. I don't know um, how you came to faith in Christ, if you are in faith in Christ, uh, but there's a lot of people um, who have come into faith because they were sold on this gospel that told them, when you accept Christ, everything is going to become okay. Everything is going to be all right. There's nothing to worry about now. Everything is going to be all sunshine. And the next day comes, and all of a sudden the bills still show up in your mailbox. And you're like, that's not cool. I thought everything became fine now. We, we you know, give our lives to Christ, and then we come back into our marriage, and yet that same difficulty still sits there, and it's so hard to still process through, and it's still so hard to make it a compromise in our marriage, yet I have Christ, so everything should be perfect. I gave my life to Christ. This business should be doing better now. Everything should be good. Suffering should be gone. Yet, here it is. When we look at the life of Paul, we realize when you give your life to Christ, not only is there still suffering, but the suffering may even amplify. But as Paul says, that gives us more reason to amplify God's glory. You see in chapter 5 that that Paul has this methodology, this belief that suffering has a purpose. Now, if you've ever come out of a season of suffering and you looked at your life and you take an inventory, you'll notice this new thing within you, this new growth and maturity, this understanding of a new truth. Because the truth is, is that suffering is not just for the sake of pain. Although pain is a symptom of suffering, there is something great that can come out of it always. The question is whether we just kind of wade in suffering and allow for it to exist, or we have a greater purpose set before us that, that we march through the suffering. That we see something greater or grander beyond our current circumstance. When you look at the work of Martin Luther King Jr., And all that he did with with organizing protests and these wonderful, eloquent speeches that motivated people to to get off of their couch or, or to become a participant, white or black, no matter what, to say that there has to be something done here because there is injustice. We see so many times, like Paul, Martin Luther King was arrested and imprisoned he suffered many times. One time when he was in prison, he was imprisoned in, prison in a, uh, the city um, jail in Birmingham. This is April 1963. and while in this cell which, which was undue suffering because he was fighting on behalf of the cause, he was doing something right yet penalized for doing what was right. Here he sits in the cell he doesn't deserve. Many of us have been in this circumstance, some literal prisons and other of us, you know, situations in lives that feel like prisons. And we sit there and we're like, man, I don't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? Yet for MLK, sitting in the cell, there was this greater purpose that was driving him. He saw something ahead of the suffering. He saw a purpose in the suffering. And so he began to write And he wrote this very famous open letter called The Letter from Birmingham Jail. (laughs) Now, if you've ever been in prison, a lot of times you're not given the resources needed. And so MLK takes a roll of toilet paper. And probably not that good stuff. This is prison toilet paper, so this is like one ply barely. Like, this is not the good stuff. This is hard to take time to write on. And yet, here he goes writing down these eloquent words in the midst of processing the pain processing the truth that's been exposed in a world that's broken. And he writes words like this, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Has anyone ever seen that, heard that? This was written on toilet paper. These beautiful words. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Just gives you like those kind of feelings and you're like, oh, there's something so good there. But those words would not be written. Those words would not have been spoken to us unless it was coming from a place where suffering occurred. Suffering has this purpose within our story. For Libby and I, we have experienced suffering in our lives. And I know each of us has a story where we've had suffering. And so I can tell best our own story. And as I tell the story, I'm sure that, that many of you can recollect different points on your timeline in your life where you felt the word suffering. And maybe it's the only thing you could feel at that time. Libby and I moved uh, here from Ohio in in 2012. And uh, in doing so, we we wanted to come to start a new church. And so we spent all of our time focused on how do we create something out of nothing? We didn't have anyone really around us to to join in. We didn't have a team with us. We had to build it all from scratch. And so we, we, we went and dreamed up something on paper and then attempted to bring it into the real world, which is one of the most difficult things that we've ever done. There were so many forces outside of us that that were coming in and causing us suffering. And then there were decisions being made by me as a young leader that that were immature that ended up causing even more suffering and pain. And just a couple examples. One would be that that we had someone on our team as we were maturing as a church who, who wrote a letter to our board and blind copied me. Accusing me falsely of doing something. And it was their way to quit. It was their resignation. And instantly, I could just feel my body tense up. And not to be too graphic, but right then, it was just straight up out of my stomach. Have you ever come to a physical suffering point? I remember uh, standing with Jared outside of uh, one of our sister churches, Mountain Park Community Church, and we were just about to launch in this new space that that we thought was going to be this grand new space in Old Town that we were going to be able to create this this space similar to what we want to do here. It was going to be in Old Town, and it was going to have this place where everyone could gather and be there throughout the week and then gather on Sunday mornings. And, And we had these great plans, but the person that we planned them with ended up, scamming us out of money and running leaving us there without a lease but yet all of this time spent invested in this place we are a homeless church after all of this dreaming and fortunately the owners of the building allowed for us to be there for a couple months while we gather ourselves and try to figure out our next steps I remember that launch, knowing it was already you know, dead in the water, that we were launching into a space that we wouldn't be staying in. I remember standing outside of Mountain Park just just shaking and crying and Jared being there with us and praying with us and just remembering even in that moment the, the, the sense of solidarity and the, the moment of, or the eye of the storm, that peace in the midst of suffering. I remember many times... Waking up in the midst of struggle and the struggle and the pain and dry heaving in this anxiety attack? Have you ever had the anxiety where you feel like everyone else around you is participating in life, yet you are so far away from it? Because you're so overwhelmed by the stress and the pain. Have you ever been in the suffering that affects your relationships, like your marriage? Libby and I continually talk now about how good it is to be where we are in our marriage. Never ever would we have ever considered parting ways at any point during the suffering, but yet there was so much distance put in between us because we sat in the suffering in our own ways and couldn't come together, and, and Tom was making immature decisions and not really dealing with things like ADHD and not dealing with, with the character issues that could be involved in that, and, and, and Tom himself was still trying to figure out what to do in the midst of all of that. And at the same time, Libby's going through this pain that is chronic. And so not only are we dealing with the pain of of losing our church, but we're also dealing with the pain that she physically has. Two surgeries in two years in a row, the exact same month, at the age of 24 and 25, or 25 and 26, we found ourselves dug in to this hard place, and we felt like we were sinking and we couldn't come up for air. And we just kept on marching forward, hoping something would change. Last in summer, actually, this time, just a week ago last year, we had our final gathering as a church. And throughout this whole process, and I remember the last Sunday we had just saying to our community, we, we have to leave this context It is not healthy for us. We are in the midst of so much anxiety and suffering. And and we want this community because in the midst of all of that, the community was so good to us. But we closed the doors. And we moved on. And and we kind of like when you accept Christ and you're told everything will be okay, you think we'll close the church. And then the week after, all the suffering is gone and everything is happy. And there's all these rainbows everywhere and just unicorns dancing. And it's just perfect. And then the next week comes and you realize you have a whole nother thing to deal with and process through and work through. There are seasons of suffering in our life, but there's a great purpose in it. And Paul speaks to this because he says basically that that suffering might be a part of the story, but it's not the end, nor is it the purpose he says suffering leads to perseverance. Now, perseverance a lot of times I think is cast as this idea of overcoming, of being victorious. Perseverance is endurance, meaning that you, can, you are already winning. But sometimes perseverance does not feel like you are winning at all. Sometimes perseverance is essentially you're in the midst of suffering and you wake up in the morning and you roll out of bed. But sometimes that's what perseverance looks like, and that's okay. I think sometimes we think that we have to be heroes in our suffering. We have to be okay in our suffering, and in the midst of pain, we have to be happy. We have to have joy that, that is um, expounding from us, even though we have joy in Christ, that we are supposed to still be jovial around others. Sometimes perseverance essentially goes back to a book called Lamentations. In the Old Testament, there's these five poems written um, that are about the destruction of the city called Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was the epicenter of everything that the Jews had at this point. That's where everything comes back to. And, and to have Jerusalem destroyed was similar to if we had our faiths being crushed and our idea of God, belief being tested. And it's the whole structure of our belief system being destroyed. In the sense, having the city of Jerusalem destroyed, there are these five poems where they literally just lament. Yet in the very middle of this lamenting, in the midst of all of this, this just sadness that, that comes about from the destruction of Jerusalem, there are these words in chapter 3, verses uh, 22 and 23. Before we read those, though, listen, this is just to give you an example of where they stand at this moment. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this, is, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. In the midst of this feeling of the soul crushing, the author writes, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, without where Paul is taking us, suffering is just suffering. Perseverance is just perseverance. It's just going on. It's just waking up and allowing life to happen. But yet... In the midst of all the suffering, where we are called to persevere, we are told of God's great love. And because of this great love, we will never be consumed by all of that soul crushing, but that we will be kept and protected. For his compassions never fail. He never wanders away. He is consistent, always present. These mercies, they are new every morning. As we wake up in the midst of suffering, sometimes that's exactly what we need to hear. I remember a lot of times in the midst of of that suffering, in the midst of that pain, waking up and focusing on my breathing. Because as everything else around me might be eroding, falling down, falling apart... As I look at trying to find where is God faithful in the midst of all this, why would God allow for me to come out here into Phoenix, Arizona, where I've never lived before, to start a new church that's now not doing well and, in fact, is heading down the wrong path and is failing? Why, in all of this, how can I say God is good? And then I come back to my lungs and I breathe in... And I remember in all things, God is faithful, even to the very most simple life-bringing force. Allowing another breath. God is faithful. I wake up and I know my circumstances have not changed yet. God's faithfulness has not changed either. It is in this moment that we realize that perseverance is a part of the story, but it's not the end, nor is it the purpose. And when we accept it as the purpose, all we're doing is letting life happen and hoping we can make it through. So, Paul continues, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, Now, when he says character in in the original language, it may not be exactly translated as this idea of character of what we might think of, you know, maybe like the fruits of the spirit in someone's character, their virtues. This actually speaks more of this idea of being refined. When you look at a piece of furniture and you say, oh, that piece of furniture has character, there's depth to it. It has been refined, it has been taken from maybe a piece of wood and then sculpted or or crafted into something else that has this depth that it didn't have before. In the same way, Paul says that out of our perseverance comes this refinement. As we go and travel through that suffering, as we persevere through that suffering, we become more defined, more refined as a person. Have you ever noticed your growth and your maturity when you come out of hardship? Character. Because you were willing to persevere through suffering, depth was added to you. Sometimes a refinement means a taking away from. In fact, Jesus spoke on this in uh, Luke chapter 22, verse uh, 31 and 32, when he he speaks to, to Peter, and he says these words, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This idea here is that um, darkness, that Satan is going to take you, like a a like wheat essentially, and place you in the sifter and begin to shake your life, essentially causing an earthquake in the midst of all that you know, shaking everything up. Think like Job here, and it's going to make all of this stuff come out the bottom, and but that's not wheat. What's coming out is is not needed. And when Satan actually sifts you, even though he's trying to shake you to the core, believing that he can erode you to the point where you'll give up on everything and believe that, that there is nothing beyond suffering and perseverance, but that suffering is just your being and perseverance is just you going on. He sifts you and what is left, what is the remainder is your faith. Because nothing outside of it defines you. And so Jesus prays that you will come through and your faith will shine, showing that you are a true believer. You are one who truly believes that it's more than suffering and going on. It is something called hope and what we have hope in. Peter also speaks to this idea in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. He says these words, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory and honor with Jesus Christ as revealed. This idea that fire takes away everything down to its very core and to refine to the point to show what it truly is. But just as suffering is not the end of the story nor the purpose, just as perseverance is not the end of the story nor the purpose, refinement is not the end of the story or the purpose. The purpose is not just to become a better person because you've been able to travel through tough times. Anyone could be a good moral person, that's not the point. There's something more. And it's what Paul is leading us to. He closes out these three verses saying, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, this whole idea of suffering goes back to the beginning. Suffering, perseverance, perseverance to, to character refinement, and that is leading us to hope. But you can't come to hope. You can't walk this path to hope if at the very beginning your foundation is not built upon this. Jesus speaks these words in the form of a parable or in the form of a teaching where he says, Matthew 7, therefore, everyone who hears these words, my teachings, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. Suffering storms. I think we've all been in the midst of storms. Jesus says, when we place our life upon his teachings, when we have the foundation of what this hope truly is for us, that no matter the storm that comes, no matter how the landscape looks as it erodes away and we have no control to grasp it, we can still look down and see that his compassions will never fail. They're always there. The glory of God still stands strong underneath us. So, theologically, to wrap things up, we could just write down on a piece of paper that we believe this. I think that, that many of us probably grew up in Sunday school. We have the concepts in our minds. We can write it down beautifully, eloquently. We can say what we believe. Yet, if we take inventory in our lives... What stands beneath you? What is your foundation? Because Jesus says, although you know, you can have my teachings which is the rock, he then tells us But whoever hears these words of mine does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came and it did not last. The shifting ground underneath him Made him collapse. There are many things we can place underneath our, our feet as our foundation. Our self-value. Our career. Our family. Financial success. We can place all these things, which are truly just extensions of ourselves, of placing ourselves as a foundation, and still theologically write down and say that we believe that there is this hope in resurrection. But, but when we come down to the, the grasping of who we really are, what is that foundation? Are you truly allowing for Christ to be the rock upon which you stand? What is underneath your feet? And I would pose it this way as we come into this time of contemplation and taking inventory in our own lives. This is a question that we asked very early on to our community, to to Sozo community. And it's really just very simple. Three words. Is Jesus enough? If you take everything away. If you take away all of your possessions, if you take away all of your relationships, your career success, your resume is shredded, if you take all that you have, literally everything, and let's say no one else was in here, there's no other equipment, it's just this room and Jesus and you, would that be enough for you? It is when we grapple with, when we wrestle with this question that we begin to truly understand what's underneath our feet. Because until we can come to that point where we can truly answer and say, yes, Jesus is enough, we will constantly fight in the midst of our suffering, believing that this is all they're supposed to be. We will continue to persevere essentially because we just believe that timelines exist and we are supposed to continue on one. We will try to refine ourselves, become a better person for the sake that others will see us and believe that we are good. There will be no need for a greater hope. If you struggle with this question, is Jesus enough? I would end with this thought. And truly, this is where we're ending this morning. There is no failure in your life. There is no shortcoming. There is nothing anyone could ever do to you. There is not enough sifting that Satan can do in your life to ever overcome the power of the resurrection. Because Christ's resurrection was overcoming death itself. There is no greater darkness than death itself and Christ has overcome it. So there is nothing in your life you can do. No failure too big. And there is no suffering that can be brought upon your life too big to overcome what is coming ahead of you. So as we stand upon the rock, even in the midst of storms, and we walk the line and we persevere and breath is still in our lungs and we are refined to look more like that new creation Christ has placed within us, we walk to the hope that will not fail. It will not fail. There has been a resurrection Christ overcame his own suffering. You will too. Don't just suffer. Don't just persevere. Don't just become refined. Travel in the truth of the hope of the resurrection. It will never fail you. And although you may wake up some mornings... And look at the landscape eroding around you. But there is hope. For all. And it starts simply. with The simple truth. That there is breath in your lungs. And there's a creator who placed it there. So we're going to end with this time of communion. Um, we have the elements over here. And this morning, I want us to take time to think about Christ's suffering, his body broken for you, and his blood spilled for you. And then think about your own suffering within that moment. That the cross allows for us to hear God say to us, Me too. Not only that, and think upon what came, what followed the suffering, the payment on the cross, the wonderful cross, the resurrection that is to come. As we do so, um, we're going to have a song played, as Matt is not here uh, for this part this morning. Um, There's going to be lyrics on the screen. You're more than welcome to sing along or contemplate or meditate with the words and find your place with, with communion and with God this morning that you may commune with the Holy One who will never fail you. His compassions will always be present right there waiting for you. This morning, um, at your own pace. I love that line. Tomorrow's freedom is today's surrender. Um, Henry and Alan, uh, in Out of Solitude spoke of this depth of humanity that we can experience both joy and suffering at the same time. So I know this morning we were pretty low on that barometer and we were kind of wading through just suffering. And through that timeline where we there was also great joy and there was great happiness in that community. And there is freedom for you guys to feel both the pain and the joy because the joy lasts and endures because we have Christ. But there has to be a step taken. If freedom is to be tomorrow, then there has to be surrender today. So as you leave today, may, may you have that freedom. In fact, would you stand with me? I, I'm a kind of a classic benediction kind of pastor. So I'm just going to commission you and then you are free to go. May you know that your suffering does not define you. May you know that there is more to this world than pain. May you know that there is more to life than just going on. May you know that there is more to life than just becoming a better person. May you know that there is a hope that comes from a resurrection, from a God who pursues you relentlessly. May you go, knowing that tomorrow's freedom begins here and now with surrender. To the very foundation that stands below, st- uh, stands below your feet. May you go in that freedom, knowing that your storms, your suffering, your pain will never crush you, and that there is a day coming, no matter how many days ahead of us, where that hope will be realized and resurrection come. May you go now, encountering others who have yet to encounter Christ, grace and peace.